Words of power that can never fail, we just sang. But they can certainly be very unfruitful and unproductive in our lives. Words of power that can never fail, but can certainly bear to fruit, fail to bear fruit in our lives. How can that be? That's what our sermon's about this morning. And um, before I open God's Word and preach it, I just need to ask a quick question, Joni. Did you know what the sermon text was this morning when you read from Psalm 119? No. No? I, have, I, I, I really hope you don't mind me doing this. But I need to hold um, what God's doing through you up as an example. Because you have shared openly with a number of us how much hurt still exists in you. You've, you've made no secret of saying, I'm broken, I need healing, Jesus is at work healing me. But there's a, there's a journey ahead. And yet, here's what I'm seeing. In the midst of this brokenness that's real and this hurt that's real, consistently, week after week, you seek the Lord and you ask Him, Lord, what scripture would you have me read today? And week after week, I'm hearing Him tie that word directly into my sermon or Pastor Gina's sermon. Over and over and over. You don't know what the sermon text is, but you're listening to God, you're seeking His face, and he's given you words. Today you read all about hunger and thirst for God's Word. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek your face and make your precepts my ways. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about them in front of kings and leaders. This beautiful delight in God's Word. And you had no idea that that's what we're going to talk about this morning. No, because I wasn't here last Sunday. You weren't even here last Sunday. No. So I just want to hold that up as a model for all of us that the Lord can use us and delights to use us no matter where we are, when we offer ourselves to Him, when we seek Him, when we seek His face. Okay? Be encouraged. Okay, Luke, it's not Luke 7, it's Luke 8, 1 to 15, is our sermon text this morning. It starts off with the words, after this, and this is that beautiful uh, demonstration of love toward Jesus by the woman who had lived a sinful life and who had experienced forgiveness and grace and mercy um, from Jesus. And after that, it says, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them 
out of their own means. I'm not going to say any more about that in the sermon, but I just want to call our attention to that little section of three verses because it's actually quite radical uh, that in Jesus' day, women would not have been welcomed to follow rabbis at all. And so the fact that Jesus is welcoming these women to be a part of the company that's traveling with him, even um, to listen to him and to support him, was very, very out of the ordinary. Jesus is lifting women up from the position that they'd traditionally been put in by the culture, and he's honoring and esteeming them as those who can follow him just like the men could follow him. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. In Mark and Matthew's gospel, in this story, Jesus says 30 or 60 or a hundred times. He talks about different increments or levels of fruitfulness. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. And you might just pause there and ask, why does it seem like the God who loves everyone and who calls everyone to repentance and to forgiveness of sins, why does it seem like he might want some to see but not see or hear but not hear? And the answer lies in the words before it, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God that Jesus is referring to is simply this, that God is acting in human history through Jesus Christ. That God has become flesh and is, the kingdom is coming here and now. It's embodied in Jesus. That Jesus is God on earth. And that's the secret that some are rejecting and that others are welcoming. And so when you're rejecting Jesus, you're hearing, but you're not hearing. You're seeing Jesus, but you're not seeing. And it's, it's the judgment that comes when we reject Jesus. Remember back to the beginning of Luke's Gospel where Luke had said, or it was prophesied that Jesus would be one who people would be divided by their reaction to him. Now Jesus gives the the meaning. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. 
The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Or another translation is, bear great fruit. Bear great fruit. I'd like to pray again before I preach. Lord, we're um, cognizant that we can't hear you without your help. And so we um, pray again for an outpouring of your grace. We pray for ears to hear, today and ongoingly. Lord, would you send your Spirit. Till the soil of our hearts. And give us soft, ready, fertile, and responsive hearts. We ask in your name. Amen. I, uh, I was early on in college, it might have been 18 or 20 years ago, and I, I found myself in a conversation with my parents, and we were just catching up, I think it was over the phone, we were catching up on happenings in Ottawa, and the conversation shifted toward our, the church that I grew up in, and, and somehow or another, we came to Mr. DeYoung, and my parents said to me, um, oh Dave, did you not hear that Mr. DeYoung left his wife? And I said, what? He left his wife? And actually, my parents said, well, it's worse. He didn't just leave his wife. He left the church. He said he believed that Jesus Christ was not the only way to salvation. That actually we were very narrow-minded. And that there were many paths to God. And so he's declared himself a Buddhist. Because Buddhists believe that all roads lead to enlightenment. All roads lead to salvation. And so he's left his faith, he's left his wife, and actually he left a son, four or five years old. When I heard that, I was crushed. But I was also confused. Because I had known Mr. DeYoung, not very well, but fairly. And he was a man who, when I was growing up in church, was on the worship team. He was a man who was an elder in the church. He was a man who was a very gentle man, um, patient, had joy, really seemed to radiate the fruit of God's Spirit. And so I just began asking myself, well, was that all a lie? Was that, was that not true? Were the things that I was experiencing through him growing up fake or pretend or what were they? And if that was true, then what about this? And as I wrestled through that, it seemed that both of them were true. That he actually did have real and genuine faith in Jesus Christ. That he followed him, he loved him, he obeyed him, and that he turned away from him. And so what happened to Mr. DeYoung? What happened was that over time, the condition of his heart changed. What happened was that over the course of years... Things were planted in his heart that weren't of the Lord and that grew up, planted his seeds, but they grew up. And as they grew up, 
they choked out his faith in Jesus Christ to the point that he no longer had it. And so Mr. DeYoung, as far as I know right now, stands condemned before God. Not because God doesn't love him, but because he's removed himself from the waterfall of God's grace in Jesus Christ. What a tragedy. How horrible. And you know, you know what? The, the thing that I think is most sobering about that is, is that I reflect on his situation. I don't believe there was ever a day that he woke up and said, today's the day I'm going to deny Jesus Christ. Today's the day I'm going to stop believing everything I've firmly held to. Today's the day where I'm going to... I don't believe there was ever a day where he had that kind of crystallized awareness or that, that firm, clear decision that he made. I believe it was a gradual process of things growing up and things either not being recognized or if they were recognized not being taken seriously enough. And that those things, when they grew up to be big enough, overwhelmed. You know, when we listen, this is a very, very familiar text. I'm sure many of you have heard it preached on half a dozen to a dozen times. And when we, when we encounter this parable, our gut reaction is to say to ourselves right away, well, which soil am I? Which, Jesus lists four soils. Which one am I? And that's kind of a right here and right now answer. And that's a fair question to ask. It's not a bad question because there are some of us here this morning who have hearts that are rather stiff. That the seeds of God's Word really don't penetrate. They don't find ready, fertile ground. They don't get planted and grow up to bear fruit. And there are some of us here this morning who've got a lot of thorns A lot of things that have been able to be planted through the world, through the flesh, our sinful nature, and through the devil, that that crowd out our souls and that make it hard for faith to exist there. Thorns, Jesus calls them. So those things are there, and that's a good it's a good question to ask. What's the condition of my heart right now? But I believe that the question that Jesus would really have us ask this morning is a bigger question than right now. It's a question that says, What has the condition of my heart been through my life? And what's the trajectory of the condition of my heart? Because as we listen to Jesus tell us that seed on good soil stands for a noble and good heart, we hear him say that those who hear the word retain it and persevere in bearing fruit. And that action of hearing and of persevering and of retaining is something that takes place over the course of a period of time. It's not a right here, right now. It's kind of a long obedience in the same direction, to use the words of Eugene Peterson. And so maybe the question that we want to ask ourselves this morning is, what does it look like, Lord, to have a fertile heart? To have an ever-increasing Uh, receptivity to your word. One that's aware of thorns. One that's aware of attempts of Satan to steal. One that's aware of worries and pleasures of the world. 
What does it look like to have that kind of a heart? A heart that's able to hear and to hold on, retain, and to persevere. It's kind of a chicken and egg question. Which comes first? Because actually you need to hear and hold on and persevere in order to have that kind of a heart, don't you? You don't get a soft and a fertile heart without the Word of God first going to work in your heart. And so what we're going to do is just spend a few minutes this morning talking about hearing and retaining and persevering. Just opening up each one of those. When I think about hearing, I'm glad my... Uh-oh. All right. I'll use one of the olders as an example. I can't tell you how many times I've said to... Um, our eldest, go and brush your teeth. And, and I get a response like this. Okay, Daddy. And three steps later, there's a toy. There's a sibling. There's an idea, a story, uh, anything. Hearing? I heard you. Gone. Well, I'm not much better than my kids sometimes. I'm ashamed to admit it, but there have been many times where Ann and I have been talking and I've just seen her lips moving and realized I haven't heard a word you've said. You've just spoken entire paragraphs. You've just told me a whole story. And my, my mind was totally and completely on something else. And I have to say to her, I am, I'm really sorry. I don't actually have any idea what you're saying right now. You know? And, and I could tell by your smiles that that happens to you a lot, too. And, and I believe that you've all had the experience, maybe many times over, of it happening the other way around, where you're sharing with someone, and then they respond to you, and you know by their response that they didn't hear you. I mean, they think they hear you, but you, your heart's kind of crushed because, oh, you didn't hear a word I said. You don't really, you don't really, you don't really get it. You don't really understand. I mean, I just poured out my, I just shared my heart. See, it's so easy to hear, but not hear. It's so easy to communicate, but not receive what's being communicated. And so, how do we cultivate ears to hear, to really hear God? When I was in seminary, our pastor in um, pastoral care one class used to talk to us about what he called the gold nugget of pastoral care. He said, you want, you are, you are um, representing God to people. You want to listen with the ears of God. And you want to help people know that you're hearing them. And how are you going to help someone know that you're hearing them, that God's listening to them? He said, you're going to listen actively. He said, active listening is this. When somebody says something to you, you repeat back to them what you're hearing, but in different words. And not just the words, but you let them know that you're hearing the emotional content. Which means you need to be listening with an ear to what they're really saying. Because sometimes we say things in different words than what we mean. Or sometimes we have a hard time getting a hold of our own emotions, don't we? And so he said, listen to people and then reflect back to them. What I hear you saying is, call that active listening. Because of because of how much it values and it treasures the person and the words that are being spoken to you. Friends, what would it look like 
for us to practice active listening to God? What would it look like for us to read and to hear His Word daily and to say back to Him, God, what I hear you saying is. God, what I see you teaching me about yourself is. God, what kind of reading would that have to be for us to be able to reflect back to the Lord that we're hearing Him say something to us? I think I've told you before that when I was in college, my undergrad, I read through the Bible several times in the course of a year with zero spiritual fruit. I was blazing through dozens of chapters, a dozen or two chapters a day. But I didn't have ears to hear. I was reading with pride. I was reading to cover ground. I was reading for knowledge. But I wasn't reading with a heart that wanted to hear and respond and show the Lord that I was responding. And I remember reading a couple of years ago, Dallas Willard said, you know, it's better to read one Bible passage a month and let it sink deep, deep, down, deep. To chew on it and to meditate on it and to let it work its way by the Holy Spirit into the fabric of our heart and our living. It's better to do that, he said, than to blaze our way through chapters and books. If you want to take the life of God, the life of Jesus Christ, and make it your own, a little bit, chew deep, understand, reflect back to God. So I'm suggesting that to us this morning as a way to hear God. But we want not only to hear, we want to hold on to what we're hearing, don't we? We want to not let go. We want to not be like the, yes, Daddy, and. And so what does it take to retain God's Word? How do we retain it? Boy, I'm going back to college a lot this morning. Seems that was a time of learning. I'm remembering um, History 107, History of Eastern Europe. I'm positive I got an A- minus in that class. And all I can tell you about the whole history of Eastern Europe is that during a certain time period, which I'm not even aware of, successive waves of people, and Ray could probably tell us a whole lot about this, called the... Gauls and the Vandals and the Visigoths and a bunch of other names swept across Europe one after the other, each one terrorizing the one that went before. That's all I can tell you. From 30 hours of class time and 60 hours of reading books and writing papers and reflecting and getting an A minus. I didn't retain. Well, why? It could be a lot of reasons. It could have been in my short-term memory. It could have been I didn't have an interest. But I think one of the primary reasons why I didn't retain any of that is because it didn't touch my everyday life. And I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything in response to what I was learning. And so here's what I want to suggest as a way of retaining what we're hearing God say. That when you are listening to God and you're reflecting back, God, what I hear you saying, what I hear you teaching is that your next question would be, God, how would you have me respond? What does this mean for my life? God, 
let's pretend the word is, in your anger, do not sin. Lord God, would you show me ways that I sin in my anger? And would you show me ways that I can respond differently in my anger? Let's pretend that the word is, forgive as you've been forgiven. Lord, is there anyone in my life, little, big, medium, that I need to forgive right now? Is it a boss? Is it a coworker? Is it a friend? Just wait. Lord, you're showing me that your character is steadfast, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. I'm in Psalm 103 right now. Overflowing with compassion. Lord, how would you have me respond to that about you? And maybe he bubbles up worship within you and maybe he calls you to worship. Maybe he calls you to pray for one of those attributes to become more deepened in you. But if you don't do something, if we don't do something about what God's teaching us, the chances are that by the time we hit lunch, it's gone. By the time we hit tomorrow, it's a distant memory. If we want to retain the words of God and take into ourselves the life of Jesus Christ, hear it and do it. Hear it and do it. And not just do it once, but persevere in it. And so we'll close with these thoughts about perseverance. I have been shamefully surprised uh, by the amount of times that I find myself lamenting to the Lord how difficult portions of life can be. And as though, as though my expectation that life in this world should be easy and comfortable. Honestly. And maybe, maybe it's just that bit about God has set eternity in the hearts of mankind and there's this portion of me longing for what He's created us for. Maybe. Or maybe it's just that I have really false expectations and I don't know a whole lot about perseverance and I have a lot to learn about perseverance. But friends, we live in a world in which three-quarters to four-fifths of the world is anti-Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us in Ephesians 2, we read this a couple of months ago. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and this part. The spirit who is now currently at work, where? In all those who are disobedient. That's a bold word. Satan is now at work in all those who are disobedient. Paul says to the Corinthians, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. What that means for us is that four-fifths of the world is being controlled by an anti-Christ spirit. That means that we live our daily lives flowing against the river kind of upstream against the flow of anti-Christ, really venomous hatred, but it works its way out at the, the, the cultural level in many different ways. It's like we, we ought to picture ourselves as Christians as constantly swimming upstream. I think of salmon and how they need to swim upstream in, in British Columbia. When the salmon are, are swimming upstream, they've got to... They've got to push and push and push against the water and they've got to avoid the rocks and get around them and around the turns and they've got to not get snatched by the grizzly bears that are reaching down to get them. 
and they've got to get all the way up to that place where they can finally rest and lay their eggs and die. Now, I don't want to paint an overly bleak picture of life because we have the joy of the Lord. But even with that joy, we ought to expect that life in this world is difficult and that faithfulness to Jesus Christ day in and day out is difficult. And we just ought not to be surprised that it takes deep perseverance day in and day out to hear and retain and obey the Word of God. That, that obeying Jesus is work and that it goes against our sinful nature and the desires of our flesh. That forgiving as we've been forgiven isn't easy. That blessing when we're cursed is hard. What Jesus has been teaching us. We ought to expect that. And so when I think about perseverance and us persevering as hearers and doers of the Word of God, I think about this story in closing. story about a swimmer. Not a fish, but a woman. Florence Chadwick was the first woman to swim across the English Channel both ways. And in July 1952, she attempted to swim from Catalina Island off the coast of California to the California coast. She set out, and her challenge, as much as the 22-mile distance, was the fact that the waters were bone-chillingly cold, freezing, frigid. And as she began swimming, a deep fog rolled in and obscured the whole area. She couldn't see anything. And so she swam, and she swam, and she swam for 15 hours. And then she couldn't swim anymore. And she gave up. And she got into the boat. And as soon as she got into the boat, she found out that she was less than 800 yards from shore. Well, that's not the end of the story. She tried it again several months later. Same distance, same bone-chilling water, and believe it or not, the same fog rolled in. The second time she did it, she broke the men's record by two hours. She reached land in two hours faster than any man had ever done it. And when she was questioned about why and how she could do that, her answer was simple. She said, this time I kept my eyes, the eyes of my heart, on the land that I knew was there. Not the fog, not the water, not the fatigue, but the land. Friends, being those who hear and retain and bear fruit and reach eternal life, the kingdom of God, requires keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ. On Him who Hebrews says is the pioneer and the author and the perfecter of our faith and who for the joy set before Him suffered and endured the cross and scorned its shame and persevered. 
You know that the scripture says earlier in Hebrews that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. He was a man of joy. And yet the scripture also says in Isaiah that Jesus was a man of sorrows. How can the two be held together? He had joy as he persevered through the difficulties of life and bore the fruit, he bore the fruit of eternal salvation for all of us because he had his eyes on what was set before him. And so God's encouragement to us this morning as he calls us to persevere is lift up your eyes to Jesus Christ. Keep them on him. Keep taking in. Keep ingesting. Keep retaining. Keep obeying. Keep doing the words of God. And they'll bear incredible fruit in our hearts and in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that this call that You've given us to have ears that hear and to be doers of Your Word is a call that You usher boldly and yet gracefully. Thank You that You give the grace to hear and to obey. Thank You that You're ever willing to supply all that we need to have ears to hear. And so we call on You this morning and we ask that, Lord, where there has been hardness, show it to us. Where seeds have been planted for years and constantly pulled away because of that hardness, show it to us. Till till the soil. Lord, where thorns are growing up, expose them for what they are and open our eyes to the joy and the beauty of Your eternal kingdom. Lord, would You bring about great, great fruitfulness and great fertility of soil in each of our hearts. For your glory we pray. Amen.